at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Choose 18 months, no payments and no interest, or $300 off each window, $700 off a Pella entry system, and $1,000 off a patio door. Get details at PellaWI.com. Restrictions apply. See showroom for details. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Let us get right to it. A lot of ground to cover. Some new developments in stories that we have talked about over the last couple weeks. Let, let's start with the, this local situation involving the Thomas Moore basketball team. We had the coach of the team on on Tuesday's show, I believe. And matter of fact, I think right after our interview, he said he had conversation. He had he was he had to leave, and he was going to be talking to lawyers. And the lawyers went into court and. And now the court has sided with Thomas Moore. Here, here's the, the situation in a nutshell. I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with the facts. Last Friday night is the semifinals for the, the regional of the regional basketball tournament. Teams that win Friday night scheduled to play Saturday night. The teams that win Saturday night then go on to the state tournament. Okay, so it's Friday night's game. Thomas Moore is playing a, a team from Howard Fuller. And they're, they're way ahead. This is a very, very good Thomas Moore team. I think they were 22 and 3 on the year. There's a minute left in the game. They're ahead by 30 points. And Thomas Moore is just trying to run out the clock. Let's get this over with, go to the game on Saturday. So they pulled their starters. They've got the second team in. And, and during the game, and this is what people have told me, the, the team from Howard Fuller has been very, very aggressive. They're, they're not as good as Thomas Moore, so that it's been kind of a chippy game is what people are telling me. So it's the end of the game. You're just trying to get this thing over with. Kid from Thomas Moore is dribbling the basketball. Kid from Howard Fuller is guarding him extremely closely, and the kid from Thomas Moore kind of goes down. I don't know if he's pushed down or whatever. Kind of loses the ball, goes to pass it. The kid from Howard Fuller then steps over the kid from Thomas Moore as the kid is on his, on the ground. And, and I don't know if this was an aggressive move. I don't know if it was a move to just try to keep your balance or whatever. But it's kind of an in-your-face thing. So the kid from Fuller steps over the kid from Thomas Moore. Kid from Thomas Moore takes offense at it. Gets up and pushes the kid from Howard Fuller in the back. Okay? Then the kid turns from him from Fuller, and the two of them kind of go chest to chest. That, that's that's what's happened. It's the end of the game. Game's pretty much over. The officials, for reasons that still pass understanding, do not blow their whistle. An official who's kind of standing right there doesn't get in in the middle of it to kind of block to stop the, the stuff. And so the two kids are kind of squaring off, at which point in time, this is all happening in front of the Thomas Moore bench, the Howard Fuller bench empties. And you get all the players that start running down into this. So you got the players that are on the court. You got players from the Fuller bench that are now running into this. And then, because they apparently have no security here, all the stands start to empty. And from the Howard Fuller side, and all these other people start running. So the court is essentially being bum rushed by 
not only players from the other team, but the people in the stands. All right, so the coach from Thomas Moore, who was on our program, he's he's in there trying to separate the two kids. You've got the players that from Thomas Moore that are on the court, and, and they're just kind of trying to pull their player back. You've got the other players on the bench who are now, they, they've stood up. They're getting bum-rushed by this, and the Thomas Moore team is essentially the coaches and the assistants. They're trying to get these kids off the court because they are surrounded. They are outnumbered. And so, yes, it's true that the kids get up and leave the bench, but they're <laughs> they're being mobbed by these people from the other team. There are punches thrown, none by the Thomas Moore kids. The videotape supports that. Okay, so, you know, we separate all this. The officials file a report saying, all right, everybody that was on Thomas Moore's team has to be suspended for a game. They say they left the bench. Well, okay, first of all, one of the kids that was suspended he was on the roster. He wasn't there that night. He's not even. He's suspended for leaving the bench, and he wasn't even there. Four of the players were on the court, so by, by definition, they couldn't leave the bench. They were already in the game, so that's at least five. And then the balance of the team. Yes, it, it's true that I guess they, they left the bench, but they're being mobbed by these other players and fans from the other group, and there's this brawl. And yes, they they left the bench, but primarily to get off the court and, and get out of here. And of course, this, this whole thing starts because the officials lost control of it. So anyhow, the WIAA, which long on rules, really short on common sense, fundamental fairness, and things like due process, they say, okay, well, there's nothing we can do. We, we can't review the videotape. All we have to do is go by the officials' report, and we can't consider any of the circumstances behind this, and essentially everybody on the Thomas Moore team is going to be suspended for a game, which in the regular season might not be that big a deal, but because the regional finals are the next day, having those kids suspended means that they essentially have to forfeit, which is what they did. Thomas Moore goes into court. They file a lawsuit. Um, Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Hannah Dugan issues an injunction yesterday saying, nope, this is, they're being denied due process. And so as a result, the Thomas Moore team will be playing, I believe, tonight. And then, you know, things have been kind of put on hold. The team that wins tonight then goes on and would, would play in the state tournament. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I've listened to, to some commentary on this that, to me, completely and totally misses misses the point I, i've heard people say things like well you know it's a game and, and you don't you don't want you know people suing over officials calls and 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 i understand if this was well they called traveling and it wasn't traveling you don't know no, you you even if the official was wrong you don't want lawsuits for that but that's that's not what this is this isn't about something that really happened during the course of the game Th- these are officials reports which are factually wrong they suspend a kid that's not even there you know so he, he's he's suspended and the WIA says you can't challenge that they suspend four kids who are on the court because they supposedly left the bench well they, they didn't leave the bench they, they were on the court how, how how can you suspend them and so you have in my opinion some officials who got it really really wrong fundamental errors and some people would say well you just have to kind of live with this i don't buy it 855-616-1620 which is the accident mortgage talk and text line to me it's the same thing as saying 
all right, if at the end of the third quarter, the officials say, that's the end of the game. We, we, we've played four quarters. And you say, no, no, you've only played three quarters. No, 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 we've ruled that you've played four quarters. The game is over. Well, you, you, you mean to tell me you wouldn't review that? 855-616-1620. Again, I just think Thomas Moore was denied fundamental due process, um, fundamental fairness, and once again, as often happens with the WIAA, a lack of common sense. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You, you look at the videotape of this, and this is what's so frustrating. The WIAA, and I think this is what really caught the judge's attention, that they say we're not even going to look at the videotape, that we, we, we don't care what the facts show. The referee says, okay, this is what, what happened, and so we're, we're not going to review that, even though the, the referee's descriptions are, are wrong on their face. I mean, four of the kids get suspended for leaving the bench when they're actually on the court. And, and if, if there was any evidence that the one of the Thomas More kids clearly was involved in the incident, I don't think anybody's arguing that he shouldn't be suspended, but the other four kids, they're on the court. So they're being suspended for leaving the bench. No, they didn't leave the bench. They were on the court. A fifth kid who wasn't even at the game is suspended. And they say, well, we, we, we can't review this, and we're not going to look at what happened. Plus, you get the other fundamental fairness question of what are those kids supposed to do? And we talked about this with the coach. What are the kids supposed to do? The court is being bum-rushed by players from the other team and by, by fans who are pushing and throwing punches. What are you supposed to say to the kids? Sit here and get punched out? I mean, instead, they're, they're trying to act as peacekeepers. The coaches are trying to get them off the floor. They're kind of running for the hills. And the WIAA, again, in this lack of common sense that they display on so many occasions, I, I don't. they don't offer an alternative. No, you know, we're, you're supposed to sit there. It's not like the kids contributed to escalating this. And that's one of the things I was trying to stress when we had the uh, Thomas Moore coach on. I said, look, do you have any evidence? Is there any evidence at all that your kids, any of the kids, exacerbated this? That any of the kids threw punches or something? Because in that case, clearly they, they should be suspended. But but no, I don't think that's what happened. 855 1620. Um, Jeff, maybe this will take the WIAA down a notch in their high horse or at least get their attention to make sensible decisions. High school sports is fundamentally for the participants after all. Jeff, no one mentions what penalty the Fuller team was assessed, even if it doesn't matter because they lost. So what happened to them? Well, that's a very interesting question. I, I mean, again, they lost, so their season is over. Now, whether or not there will be suspensions for, like, the first game of next year, whether that carries over, I, I don't know. But but th- this, this was a, a state tournament play-in game, so there is no tomorrow. And I guess this would be, a, in my opinion at least, it would be a different situation maybe if we were there, – there wouldn't be the need for the urgency of this. But the fundamental problem here, again, to me, is that the WIAA decides to make this decision – without any regard for the facts. And that's that's what caught the judge's attention. It's like, okay, we've got this videotape which shows what really happened. And you've got a referee's report. And here, I mean, to me, if there's anybody that should be suspended, it's the referees who lost control of this. If the referee would have blown the whistle and got between these two kids in the beginning, 
I, I don't think it would have escalated to this effect, but because the referee swallows his whistle, doesn't do his job, this whole thing then exacerbates, and, and you have this huge problem. But the, the underlying thing is we've got a referee's report, which is wrong, materially wrong in many, many cases, and we're not going to consider that, and we're not going to get an appeal, and we're not going to review it, and, and that is the arrogance of the WIAA that they display on so many occasions. Jeff, I think you're right. I heard the commentary about the court shouldn't decide this. I think it's completely wrong. Officials got it wrong, and, you know, this this happened. Um, thanks for common sense. Well, I, I don't know about that, but it's this is it. Jeff, um, I officiated basketball for 25 years. In my experience, the WIAA hardly ever sided with the officials on any report, but now they did on this. Why? It, it's, it is it a dysfunctional thing um all right um here's somebody says well good thing the courts don't have better things to do some private cool school kids might have gotten messed over you know push that murder case to next month well hannah dugan isn't ha- hearing murder cases you know so that's you're, you don't have to worry about that particular situation jeff the wia has accomplished their goal of standing behind the refs now they need to back off and allow the facts to speak for themselves that's I guess that's the situation that's there. I don't want to see every time a team thinks that they got screwed over, that they're running in the court and arguing, this was a traveling call, it shouldn't have been, or they they ruled the clock, ran out, and it had. I, I, I agree, that's not where the courts are. But that's not what this is all about. This is about fundamental fairness, due process, and whether or not decisions and rulings that are plainly at odds with the facts should be allowed to stand. So in this particular case, look, I, I don't follow really high, follow high school boys basketball. I take no position. I don't know if Thomas Moore is going to win tonight or not. They're going to play the game. If they lose, I guess this resolves the whole thing because the appeal then becomes kind of academic. If they win, you know, it, it goes on. I don't think the WIAA is going to appeal this, at least not in the short run. But the bottom line is, if you would use a little bit of common sense, and I, this is something I've been talking about for decades on this radio station it's i understand that you have to have rules and i understand that the rules are rules mentality but you have to understand that when you're implementing rules you have to figure out what is the rule trying to accomplish yes do do i think that people who participate in making a, a bad situation worse and leaving the bench and getting involved in a fight should be suspended of course but what about the kids who are then suspended for not participating in the fight or the kids who are suspended because, you know, the, the choice is they'd be in the middle of this and in a physically dangerous situation if they didn't try to get themselves off the court? I mean, those are the questions that apparently the WIAA doesn't care about. So in this particular situation, I'm glad the Milwaukee County judge got involved. Glad that the season for Thomas Moore will be decided on the court, however that's decided, and then everybody can move on. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. All right, there will be breaking news today out of Chicago. Jussie Smollett who was the, the former, he was on the this TV show Empire. That's probably his greatest claim to fame. He He's scheduled for sentencing today, and this is a case that is getting national attention. If you will recall, Smollett was the guy who claimed that he had been 
beaten up in for, he's first of all he, he's both black and he's gay and he claimed that he was the subject of an attack he told this this story that made national attention um, his story was that um, he had you know he was the victim of a hate crime attackers put a rope around his neck um, talked about how they poured bleach on him um, used again anti-gay slurs and things like that and this got it got a ton of attention as you recall because obviously because of, of his stature and you know the Chicago police were denounced for not being able to catch the people right away and this brought a lot of negative attention on Chicago hey is this a situation where you have you know a black gay guy who can't walk down the streets well the the, the problem is he completely and totally made it all up and as it turns out what he did was he was for trying to get attention for himself and so he had actually hired people um people he knew to to do this and offered to pay him money and stuff anyways but the whole thing was was a fake he went to trial denied all this lied on the witness stand and the jury i think you know went out had a cup of coffee came back and ended up convicting him so right now you have a lot of the hollywood the Hollywood elite who's been sending letters to the judge saying, oh, he's a really good guy. You know, don't you don't need to send him to jail, et cetera, et cetera. And I think the big question is going to be, what does the, the judge do in a case like this? To me, if you don't send him to jail for some period of time, I'm not talking about five years in prison, but if, if you don't have some penalty that doesn't include some some form of incarceration, what you're essentially doing is you're, you're turning a blind eye to this and you're essentially rewarding him for getting up on the witness stand and perjuring himself in connection with this. Do you need to put him in prison for 10 years? No. Do you need to say, okay, there are consequences for faking a hate crime and then creating all this disturbance and then lying about it on the stand. Yeah, so I'm, I don't know what the judge is ultimately going to do, but hopefully he's going to do a little bit of time because if he doesn't, it sends absolutely the wrong message to everybody. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Mask mandates are falling all around the country. Um, Hawaii has become the final state to drop its mask mandate. Um, almost all public school systems, if not all public school systems, have given up their mask mandates. The President's State of the Union, what, a week ago, um, Congress gave up its mask mandate. So, you know, they, you had all the congressmen and women who were sitting next to each other. Nobody was required to wear masks. So as a general rule, mask mandates have, have pretty much been done away with, none of which, of course, says that you can't wear a mask if you choose to do it. The only place where I think consistently we have still had mask mandates is the federal executive order. It's not Congress. It's federal government's executive order saying that for public transportation, you need to continue to wear masks. There was expectation that order was supposed to expire in about a week or so, supposed to expire on March 18th. The rule that you have to wear masks in airports, the rule that you have to wear masks on trains, and the very, very controversial 
rule that you have to wear masks when you are on airplanes. This isn't to say that the airline, Southwest, Delta, United, Spirit, whatever, can't impose its own rule saying that people who are on the planes need to wear masks. They have the right to do it. But right now, the airlines don't have that discretion. It is a federal rule. So in any event, I think a lot of people, given the fact that the CDC has pretty much you know, dropped mask mandates all over following the science. I think the expectation was that these mask mandates were going to be allowed to expire on March 18th. The news today, the Transportation Security Administration, again, this is an act of Congress. This is the executive branch by order. The TSA is extending the mask mandate on public transportation until April 18th. So they have extended it for another month. The expectation is after that month, you know, maybe they'll drop it, but there's no guarantee of that. I think a lot of people thought that they were going to drop it um, in in a week or so. But no, they're, they're not going to do that. It will continue in place for at least another month. Now, I guess maybe the argument you could make is, well, Late March, early April is a big travel time. You've got lots of people flying. They're going to Florida on spring break. They're going to Arizona on spring break. They're going to Texas on spring break. So maybe we need to continue it for another month. At the same time, if the argument is let's follow the science, and is there any scientific evidence saying that, first of all, that that COVID on planes has been that the traveling on planes has been a significant transmission problem for COVID. And is there any evidence to believe that, gee, given the fact that the number of COVID cases has just cratered, and that's all good news, is there any evidence to suggest that making conti- people continue to mask up for another month is really going to accomplish anything? Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, let, let's let's go where angels fear to tread, because I understand whenever we talk about these mask rules, there are some people who are, have decided that they are going to wear masks for the rest of their life and would prefer if everybody else were required to wear masks the rest of their life. I get it. I respect individual people's decision to wear masks, but the truth is most people are not going to do that and they're not going to agree to wear masks for the rest of their life. So this has a question of, of government rules and given where we are with COVID right now, Is the government going too far by saying, all right, we've told you to follow the science. You don't have to wear masks in almost every setting that's out there nowadays, but we're still going to make you wear masks on airplanes. 855-616-1620. I think the government should have let this expire. I I think, actually, the mask mandate on planes should have probably been um, 86th a little while ago, but that's okay. It was set to expire March 18th should have been allowed to expire March 18th. If you're going to follow the science, I don't believe the science continues to justify requiring masks on planes for another month. All right, 855-616-1620. Let's discuss. Toshiba Copier Printers from James Imaging Systems, helping business get back to business. Ryan Jonas, Director of Technology with the Greendale School District. The partnership we have with James just makes document imaging easy. I really feel like they're on board with us with our best interests at heart. James Imaging Systems customer Mike Sinkbeil, partner with ChoreTech, the CPA and business advisors firm. Partnership is sharing the same goals. That's why we focus on the client. We make their goals our goals. 
And when they need us, we respond quickly, just like James Mnuchin does for us. Stephen Russell, president of Wisconsin Legal Blank Company, sums it all up. Their honesty, they're easy to work with, their service is impeccable, and they're local. Toshiba Copier Printers from James Imaging Systems, helping business get back to business. Call 262-781-7700, 262-781-7700, or visit jamesimaging.com. James Imaging Systems, your local document imaging partner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, I fly every other week. I don't care what the government says. I'm going to wear a mask on planes forever. Can't believe I didn't do it sooner. I've never been healthier in the last three years of flying. To which I say, go with God. I, I have no problem with that. And, and I, I understand if people believe that it's it's healthier and protects them to be on on airplanes wearing masks that, that's fine if you want to wear a mask when you go to grocery stores if you want to wear a mask when you sit in a movie theater if you go to a basketball game that's got 20,000 people and you're in an enclosed space and you want to wear a mask i don't have any problem with that but the question is for people who aren't immune compromised that that small percent of the population or people who just find the masks to be annoying all right should they be required to wear them and that's i guess what the issue is and my answer is if we're supposed to be following the science show me the documentation that justifies another month of mask mandates on on airplanes number of people are texting saying isn't it interesting that anthony fauci has completely disappeared that that you know fauci who was the the face of of COVID and the shutdowns and the masking and all this stuff, he's just completely disappeared. You you just almost never see him around anymore. Now, I guess if you want to be cynical, you could say that that is perhaps because the Biden administration is reading the polls and they understand where the majority of Americans, certainly not everybody is, which is what I think, for example, drove the decision to lift the mask mandates for the State of the Union because people who were watching the State of the Union, that the politicians, they, they knew that if they had the mask mandates for um, for Congress, I think a lot of people would be looking at it like kind of shaking their heads. So what has happened to, um, you know, what has happened to, you know, Anthony Fauci? Jeff, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't the air on an airplane recycled and purified? Yes, it is. And that's why the, the um, CEOs of at least two of the major airlines, Delta and one of the others, I forget off the top of my head, had been arguing to, to get rid of the mask mandates before March because they said, look, you know, we actually the air you're going to be breathing on the airplane has a lot less chance of passing on COVID than in a number of other situations where the mask mandates have already have already disappeared. Jeff, this is nothing but virtue signaling and control at this point. The vivid curve has been flattened and the impact on hospitals has subsided. It's well time for masks to be an individual choice. Jeff, I think mask mandates should be permanent on airplanes because people are coming from all over the world. I think they should be permanent on airplanes because people are coming from all over the world. So... I don't know if you're flying from Milwaukee to to Tampa and you I don't know you have people who are by and large from Milwaukee who are flying down to Tampa you got to wear a mask 8556161620 Jeff as with any large organization 
The bottom line is to cover your butt. I'm sure that's where the decision from TSA came from. Well, I, I, I don't know, but I mean, I, I keep going back to this whole notion of follow the science. And that's okay. That's what we've been told for two years. Follow the science. So my question is, what is the science that justifies continuing to have the mask mandate in place for the airplanes? What are the statistics? What are the numbers behind this to justify this when, all right, there's there's the Big East basketball tournament going on now, Madison Square Garden. So you're going to have 20-plus thousand people sitting next to each other, screaming, yelling, cheering, and they're not going to be wearing masks at Madison Square Garden. You're going to have you know hundreds of people going to movie theaters to see the Batman movie. You know, last weekend, this weekend, they're going to be sitting in clubs close quarters in air that isn't necessarily probably treated and purified and recycled to the extent it is on airplanes. And we don't have mask mandates in those cases. At what point in time, what is the justification for treating airlines differently than we treat others? And I will tell you, the other thing that makes absolutely no sense to me is the requirement that you wear masks in the airport at this point in time because, uh, all right, you're, you're sitting in the airport, uh, then, then why don't we have the mask mandate in every shopping mall in the United States? What I don't know about this TSA order is whether it extends to the airports or whether or whether it's airports and the planes or whether it's just the planes. 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, I wish they would get rid of the mask on airlines. Last month we flew from Galveston to Milwaukee. We were on a cruise ship, came in. We had like an eight-hour week, so we had to wait wear a mask while we flew to Southwest. Um, yeah, I mean, it is it is a situation um, there. And somebody, oh, why aren't you complaining about seatbelts on airplanes? Well, it's, it's a different sort of situation. I understand why people wear seatbelts on airplanes. The question is because, you know, you, you need it. If there's jostling and air current, you could get thrown around, you could get injured. Explain to me the numbers. Show me the science out there that justifies continuing to require people to wear masks on the, on the planes. And I, as I said earlier, if the airline themselves wants to put this rule into effect, I think the airline has every right to do it. Southwest, Delta, United, whatever, if they believe that for the overall safety of the flight crew, um, for for whatever reason, if they believe that they think that this is appropriate, I, I think they have the right to do it, just like I think restaurant owners have the right to say, we want you to wear masks regardless of what the government does. But this is the government through its fiat. And again, this isn't... This isn't an act of Congress. This is the Biden administration's TSA just saying we're going to do this because we feel like it. And, you know, we don't have to justify it. We don't have to show you the numbers that explain this. And we don't have to explain why this makes any sense at all. Um, you know, and that's, I guess, my frustration that, that comes with this. Um, Jeff, I agree with you. Mandates need to go away on planes. If somebody wants to wear a mask, go for it. You know, um, unless somebody's wearing an N95, there's very little protection anyways. Yeah, that's that, that's always been, okay, the, the ship has sailed. But that has always been the underlying issue with these masks, too. You, you, even if you look at the places that have the mask mandates, you'd have people that were wearing down around their nose, that they had the gaps, that, that they weren't form-fitting. 
that you know people would get the, the soda or whatever. I mean, that was the big thing. At, like that, that's why the mask mandate was so ridiculous at baseball stadiums and stuff because there were exceptions if you were actively eating and drinking. So you would have people. I mean, I remember when they had it in place at American Family Field last year. I, I, I'd go to the games and they'd have the mask mandates, and you'd have somebody. And what they do is they'd go out and they buy a soda, they'd buy a beer, and they'd sit with it in their hand the whole game with the you know with the mask pulled down because they were involved in actively you know eating or drinking. So you, you had these exceptions that just rendered it completely useless. Lamar in Orlando. Lamar, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Um, sure. So I work on planes, and I am over this mask, the mask uh, mandate for a few reasons. One, we my airline did a scientific study about, because we have air filtrations on our planes, which is actually, yep. in many cases, better than what you would find at hospitals. And so they did this study that they put out to show you air in planes is actually cleaner. Couple that with the fact that the science says most masks that we wear are ineffective, couple with the fact that most of the friction that we get on planes are because of these mask mandates. And as you just mentioned, when people are actively eating and drinking, because, yes, uh, I think you one time mentioned that someone would buy, like, a bag of chips and kind of chew on that for a couple of hours just to get past the mask. Couple, You know, right. add all those things in, it's pointless to have this mandate. I am over it personally because, you know, as a crew member, I got to wear it when I walk in the airport my entire day for 14, 16 hours. So I'm just, I'm just over it. And it's point, really pointless at this point. Yes, and you talk about some. I mean, you work in the airline industry. So your perspective is from within the industry, it, it just doesn't make any sense anymore. It doesn't make any sense. From a scientific standpoint, we've done studies on how, how, how the air is really clean on planes, contrary to what people believe, number one. Number two, most masks that we wear are ineffective anyways. Number three, the fact that we serve food on planes and people you know, are eating and drinking a lot anyways. It's, it's literally pointless. It's all it's pointless and adds to the fact all the, the drama that we get in trying to enforce it because you'll get a passenger that has an issue with another person that has their mask on for half a second. We got to address yeah. it and you make somebody mad and a fight breaks out or whatever. It's just it's more trouble than what it's worth. Yeah, thanks for the call, Lamar. I appreciate it. I guess that was my my sense too. It's more trouble than what it's worth because you you again, and, and this is on this is on both sides of it. I, I'm sure. I mean, imagine the flight attendant situation. Okay, you got the people that that don't want to wear the masks, so they cop an attitude. And bottom line, you should you should have to wear the mask. Then the flip side is you get the other people who um, don't like the fact that the person's pulling the mask down to drink, and so they cop an attitude. Oh, that mask doesn't fit right. It's just a mess. It's not accomplishing anything anymore to the extent it ever did right now it is nothing in my opinion but virtue signaling and it's long since time to get rid of this 855-616-1620 we'll take a quick break back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner and this is jeff wagner i i you know whenever we go down this route i you, you It'd be interesting. I wish I could share with you all the different texts and emails I receive, because there is there is a percentage of the population who wants to be masked for the rest of their lives. And it doesn't matter that the, the COVID numbers have have dropped dramatically. It, it doesn't matter that people have become vaccinated and developed immunities. That that's just not how they approach it. They 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 want to be in their bubbles. And I, I don't I don't I'm not really mocking when I when I say that. It's just they. Well, here here's somebody who says, according to all my healthcare professionals, masks do work well. Having them in tight public spaces like public transportation has helped those areas not be super spreaders. We don't know that. I've been masked on 
several flights, and I don't mind it continuing. They're willing to do this for the rest of their lives. That that's that's clearly what what's out there. And by the way, I understand that there might be a value to this. I I've said before, the only time I used to get colds is when I'd, I'd be on airplanes and there'd be some kid right behind me who was coughing up a lung and sneezing, and you know didn't wasn't clear of the idea of like covering their mouth. So I mean, I, I appreciate that there is a value to people perhaps wearing wearing masks. Forget COVID, just from an overall sort of health perspective. I, I understand all that, but at the same time, that's different from having the government come in and mandate this, say you, you have to wear these things. We're going to tell you because for some people, it, it is difficult it is oppressive to have to sit there for three or four hours and wear a mask now i understand that the people who are the, the folks that want to be protected and want to be bubble wrapped they're like well what's the big deal so just let's let's wear masks everywhere and this will be fine wear these types of things and and then you know we will have a higher level of protection well there there is this thing called the real world and you're going to go out in the real world and you're going to be exposed to germs and things like that the whole basis for a lot of the stuff that was happening at the beginning of COVID was the idea that we wanted to flatten the curve. We wanted to stop the hospital system from becoming overwhelmed. So we did all these different things, and we put in all these emergency rules. Well, okay, that, that emergency has largely subsided. That's good news. For whatever reasons, That that's good news. So the question becomes, when the emergency is over, how long does the government get to put in the rules? Now, if you want to go to Congress and you want to argue to Congress, we should pass a law that says everybody has to wear a mask on an airplane. Let's make it a law. Forget about an emergency situation. Let's make it a law. Well, I'm willing to have that debate. But if it's not an emergency, why do we continue to treat it like it is? Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. The world is absolutely crazy in some respects. And a classic example of that is what is playing out. It actually played out yesterday in the Wisconsin Supreme Court. On Wednesday, the Supreme Court heard an argument about whether or not the 15-year-old kid who in November of 2020 shot up Mayfair Mall should be treated as an adult or should be treated as, as a juvenile. The, the 15-year-old in the court arguments because as a juvenile, we, we don't want to tell the public who it is that is committing these crimes. So his name has not been made public. They refer to him in the court proceedings as Xander. That, that's the, the number, that's the name that, that they're using. But, but here's, here's the deal. Let's review the bidding on what happened. Xander, who had prior to November 20th of 2020, had, had been in the juvenile justice system before and hadn't been doing very well. He's, um, on an, he's at Mayfair Mall. And he's on an escalator with an older friend of his. As they're riding down the escalator, the pair encounters four other people that they knew who were coming up. Maybe he's going up the escalator, the other going down. In anyhow, they, they get into a fight. And at that point in time, 15-year-old Xander pulls out a gun and starts shooting. One of the people he shoots is the guy that he's with. Three other people from the other group get shot, and because 
This is in the middle of the afternoon in a busy shopping mall. He shoots four innocent bystanders. So there are eight people that are shot. Only but for the grace of God, nobody is killed. But, of course, this this is a, a big deal. Somebody pulls out a gun in an urban shopping mall, and, and he, he's 15 years old, by the way. He's, he's, he's not allowed to carry concealed weapons, much less shoot them. And you will remember then what happens. Dozens of police respond to the scene. The mall ended up being closed. Well, after this happens, Xander runs to a nearby Best Buy and calls his father, and demonstrating that the apple probably doesn't fall too far from the tree, the father calls Uber and has Uber pick up the kid and drive him home. The kid is then arrested two days later um, after a traffic stop in Milwaukee in a car with Illinois license plates. With him are a packed bag and the same handgun that he used in the mall shooting. So dad helps the kid escape in the first place, and then it's very apparent that they were in the process of trying to get the kid smuggled out of state, but in any event, he ends up getting caught. Okay, so that that's the background. Eight people shot. He's 15 years old. He's been in the juvenile justice system unsuccessfully before. So the DA's office, and I pick on the DA's office a lot, but they they say we this, he shot eight people. Of course, we have to wave, we have to wave him into adult court. The case goes in front of a very very liberal Milwaukee County Circuit Judge, who after hearing from a psychologist um, and listening to the again listening to the arguments uh, from the defense attorneys in this case decide that well I, I think we should leave him in juvenile court because here's the deal you know we have two te- witnesses that say that his needs could be met within juvenile court so this is what we're going to do you can go into a shopping mall at the age of 15 you can shoot eight people and we'll treat you as a, a juvenile what happened is the state then ended up appealing this another circuit court judge um, reviews this matter and and disagrees. Says no, I I think that um, we need the Wisconsin Court of Appeals looks at this and says no, this is the the, the judge got it wrong here, and, and we really need to send this back, and this needs to be reviewed more closely because we we think they're they're missing several significant points. And now the defense has appealed that. So yesterday the Wisconsin Supreme Court heard an argument about whether you treat him as a juvenile or whether you treat him as an adult. Now, there's a technical legal issue about whether the circuit court judge in the first place abused her discretion. But but this overriding factor that's out there is you've got a 15-year-old who's been in the criminal justice system before, the juvenile criminal justice system, who shoots up a shopping mall. How can anybody in their right mind think he should stay in juvenile court? Our number, 855-616-1620, which is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, there are certain crimes that if you, it seems to me, if you are old enough to bring a loaded gun into Mayfair Mall and you are old enough to pull that gun out and start shooting people indiscriminately, you are old enough to be treated as an adult. This isn't Opie throwing, I don't know, stones at a window. This is a kid who shot eight people, 
and you've got at least one Milwaukee County Circuit judge that says, "Oh, let's leave him in juvenile court. He'll, he'll get he'll get some treatment. Um, he seems to be doing fine in detention. You know, since he's been in detention, well, yeah, let's keep him there for a number of years. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. What do you think, juvenile court?" Or is this just a no-brainer? You shoot eight people, you get treated as an adult. 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase, presented by Great Midwest Bank, is Ridgetop Exteriors. With over 20 years in business, contact Ridgetop Exteriors today to build, to improve, or repair your home. Get the Ridgetop Advantage today and call 414-244-9416 or visit them at RidgetopExteriorsMKE.com. 855-616-1620. This is one of my ongoing frustrations. And it, it's a fundamental problem in the, the, the legal system. And we'll, we'll touch on it in a different context a little bit later on in the program where the, the estimates are that of, of the cars that get stolen in the city of Milwaukee, about half are stolen by people 16 years and younger. There's no there's no accountability at all. And unfortunately, you have a court system that in some respects is kind of rigged to, I don't know, treat people who commit adult crimes as juveniles. And it's stuck in the 1950s. I firmly believe that, this idea that, okay, well, you know, we have these juveniles, they're doing shoplifting things, and we don't want to ruin their lives. And I understand all that. I get it. But when you bring a gun, a 15-year-old who has already been in the juvenile justice system before, you bring a gun to Mayfair Mall, you pull that gun out, and you shoot eight people to suggest that, oh, oh, this poor little darling, let's get him a little bit of treatment and stuff, and then, you know, maybe we'll detain him for a little bit, but then when he's 18, we're just going to send him out into the system. And by the way, we're not going to tell anybody what, who is, what his identity is. We're not going to name people, so I don't know when he moves into that apartment next door to your kid, and he pulls out the gun because he gets upset and starts shooting indiscriminately. Well, you know, too bad. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jessica in Racine. Jessica, you're on WTMJ. Hi. So I was listening to the show, and I was just discussing this with someone else. My daughter and I were actually there that day shopping. Um, This is a violent person who's got a previous record, and... It isn't even just the eight people that got shot that were victims of this crime. He, everybody that was shopping in the mall that day was completely traumatized. It was an absolute nightmare. There were people that got stuck in the mall. I just don't see that somebody with a previous record is going to go into the juvenile system and, you know, his problems are going to be fixed. That's unfortunately not usually how it works. So. No, Jessica, tell me, you, you, were, were you there? The were you there, Jessica? Were you actually there when the shooting occurred? Yes. Oh, well, tell me what. Tell me the story. Yes. I mean, what, 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 what happened? Where, where, where were you and your daughter? When did you become aware? Did, did, tell me what happened. So we were in American Eagle returning a pair of pants, and literally, I we looked out the front door of the store, and all of a sudden, we just saw people running. And so I just grabbed her and I left our jeans and our receipt and our everything just right on the corner or right on the counter. Sorry. 
um, we ran into the back room of the store, which had an emergency exit that went out into a corridor. And I debated if we should go outside because I thought if he shot, he probably left. So there's a shooter out there. I don't know who he would go after. And so I debated whether we should go outside. And thankfully, my daughter, because she has had some training on this, said, we have to leave. She goes, you don't stay there. She goes, we need to leave. So we found a a woman. I actually chose this woman because she had car seats in her car. I saw her unlocking her vehicle's doors, and I asked her to take us around the other side of the mall in her car because I didn't want us to be exposed. So she drove us around the other side to my vehicle, and then we left. But... It- I mean, it must have been very traumatic. It must have been really, really scary for for you, for your daughter, and for everybody else that had to go through that because of this. Oh, absolutely. People were just terrified. It was, yeah, I, I was less worried about, I mean, of course I was worried for myself, but I was worried for my daughter. For just a minute, you know, you, you have no idea what's going to happen. So, yes, it's, it's. Of course, the eight people that got shot are definitely the biggest victims in this situation. But everybody that was there, it takes away their sense of trust and just, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, you just feel unsafe. No, Jessica, so. thanks for the call. and th- No, thanks for sharing the perspective. And that's, I, I'm really glad you called in because that that's right. I, I, we, we tend to focus on the direct victims of this thug's behavior, the, the eight people that, that got shot and but for the grace of God have survived. But, yeah, you're, you're right. I'm sure this was an incredibly traumatic experience to be in the situation. And, okay, I know that there's an active shooter here. We don't know what's happened with the active shooter. And, by the way, that I, I think, you know, if you look at the overall circumstances, beyond just the, the kid pulls out the gun and starts shooting at Mayfair Mall, it, it's then the... The, the complete lack of acceptance of responsibility. I'm going to run. I'm going to call my dad. My dad is then going to, they're going to stash me, and then they're going to try to, you know, smuggle me out of town. So it's the complete inability to accept responsibility either. And, I, and look, I, I'm not necessarily saying if the kid had immediately dropped the gun and surrendered, do I think that that means that he should be treated in juvenile court? I'm not making that argument. But he didn't drop the gun and surrender. He, he tried to escape. You know, there's he tried to get out. Jeff, I swear that you almost make up the stories because how can this be our reality? And we wonder why the crime in Milwaukee is out of control. What we're doing isn't one isn't working. You need to change what you're doing. It's just insanity. No, I, I promise I'm not making the story up. That that's exactly it. You if you this is one of those examples where seriously, if if Martians came down and landed in Cathedral Square and you explain to them, well, we had this kid who had a gun, and he'd been in the system before, and he came out and he shot eight people, and he traumatized all these folks, and he tried to flee, and his parents helped him. And, and there's a question about whether you treat him as adult or a juvenile, and you've got a judge in Milwaukee County that wants, you know, bought into what some psychologist or psychiatrist was saying, and, and they want to treat him as a juvenile. The, the Martians would fly away, shaking their heads, convinced that there's no intelligent life on Earth. That's precisely what would happen, you know, in in a situation like this. Jeff, the justice system is not doing any favors to the perpetrator. Listen to this text. I have a son who is in prison. 
We tried to get him punished for minor offenses since the day he was 16. Now, at 24, he's finally in prison, um, and we can all sleep at night. But, okay, so this, see, this is part of the thing that's out there as well. It's the whole idea of lack of consequences, that if you, and I'm, I'm a big adherent to what you know they refer to as like the broken windows form of policing the idea that little things matter because if you stop the little if you don't stop the little things it leads to bigger things i cannot tell you going back to another life when i was a prosecutor and i, I was in the u.s attorney's office and so we we would get these pre-sentence reports you know you'd have somebody that was convicted of this crime and and you'd look at the criminal record and not all the time but most times what would happen is it would be a series of progressively escalating bad behavior okay so maybe it starts off you know that um, you're shoplifting then then it graduates to stealing cars i'm just giving examples here and and all along the way the person keeps getting caught and and they're they're never really held accountable it's okay we're going to defer the prosecution or we're going to put you on probation or double secret probation so it goes from shoplifting to um burglary then it goes to car theft then it goes to carjacking then it goes to armed robbery and at some point in time you get to the point where the, the crime that the person has committed is, is is so egregious that there's no choice, but you got to send them to prison. You got to send them to prison for a long period of time. All right, you you, you carjacked somebody and you pistol whipped them, and yes, okay, you're, you're going to jail for ten or fifteen years. And I have always argued that maybe, just maybe, if we had treated the smaller offenses more significantly when they were occurring, maybe it would have made them think twice before going out and committing more serious and more serious and more serious crimes. Look, I'm not naive. I know that that doesn't always work. But I know by not treating those little crimes as significant, you, you, you're not helping anybody. And this texter, I'm sure that's it. I'm sure for the parents it's incredibly frustrating. Kid starts committing what we will call minor or petty crimes at 16, starts committing escalatingly more serious criminal behavior, and, and you're, you're never able to get people to take this seriously. And finally, they end up doing something that, um, well, they finally end up doing something that is so bad that, okay, you, you just have no choice. But we haven't helped them. In this particular case, as far as I'm concerned, you're 15 years old, you shoot eight people in a shopping mall, you traumatize hundreds of others, it's the complete and total no-brainer. You get treated, you go to adult court, and you're, you're treated as an adult. Does that mean, they don't send the 15-year-old to a pond. The 15-year-old stays in juvenile detention until 18, and then you know, graduates into adult court. But you identify the kid, you identify him, his name is made public, his record is made public, He's kept under the control of the criminal justice system for a longer period of time. And if he reoffends, well, then you use that as a basis to, I don't know, drop the hammer even harder. Uh, I don't know what the Supreme Court's going to do. My guess is they're going to, again, send it back for more consideration because if you think this kid could be should be treated as a juvenile, I, I think you're missing the boat badly. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Well, for those of us who are sports fans, this this, this may be good news. If you're a regular listener, you know I have been extremely frustrated with the fact that the ten. 10- 
billion dollar industry that is baseball has been unable to reach an agreement to continue to, to play games. And it started with an owner's lockout in December, and then no proposals, no discussions for the, the, the better part of two months, and then, you know, you're back and forth and canceling things. And one of my frustrations, and I've said this before, I, I have friends who live in the Fort Myers area, who that, that's where there's spring training for Minnesota, there's spring training for Boston, and, and there's, a, there's a lot of people who, they're, whether it's their businesses or whether it's people who pick up, you know, part-time jobs or whatever, it, it depends on the spring training thing. And so spring training has been largely canceled, at least thus far it's been canceled. Games have been canceled. People aren't traveling there. So it, it's not really the millionaire players and the billionaire owners who are getting hurt. It's, again, it's the quote-unquote little people who, you know, depend on, on these kind of side hustles and things like that, which has been the same thing, I think, that's been true at Major League Stadiums. I mean, I if if the players decide they don't want to play and the owners decide, that they don't want to play and they can't figure out how to divide the $10 billion fine, that, that pie, that, that's fine, go with God. But the people it hurts are the people that are, are selling the programs and are um, the, the, the bars and restaurants that are you know catering to fans and then taking them to games and the people that are the, the parking attendants and the folks that got really hurt two years ago when COVID closed everything down and were hurt last year when, with COVID, it only opened up partially and things like that. And, and the absolute lack of appreciation by, on the part of owners and players, to me, has been absolutely stunning. Now, in this particular situation, I, I tend to, and this is almost never the case, I send, tend to send more with the players. I, I think the, the owners cut a really, really I'll say it this way, a good deal for themselves a few years ago, and the players are kind of realizing that they got shafted, and now they're, they're trying to get at least a little bit of things back. And, uh, I mean, I, I just I don't mean to pick on the Brewers. I love the Brewers. But when, when the, the ownership group bought the Brewers 20 years ago, they paid $223 million. Now Forbes estimates the franchise is worth $1.2 billion if they wanted to sell. And my guess is they could get a lot more than that. So, I mean... I'm not listening to any of these baseball owners play poverty. And the Brewers are, as far as value goes, they're in the bottom third of the value. I mean, the Yankees are worth $5 billion. I'm not going to be too sympathetic to, to these owners who can't figure out how to share a, a little bit more money with the players. And I know that might surprise some people coming from me, but that, that's that's kind of how I felt. I, I think the owners have been, in my opinion, sort of unreasonable with regards to some of the things that they've done. Well, anyhow, so it got to the point where you couldn't get a deal. Brewers were supposed to open on March 31st. That, that's been pushed back. Yesterday, Rob Manfred, who is the commissioner of Major League Baseball, announced that there was going to be another week of games that would be canceled. Uh, the news today is more positive. Apparently, one of the issues, and I don't even claim to understand this, one of the issues is has been an international amateur draft, and that is the owners wanted to, I mean, right now the way it works is that the owners go out and you, you find a player from Venezuela or whatever and you want to sign him, you, you pay him money and you sign him. And there's been a push about, you know, amateur draft and whether we, they should have to draft foreign amateurs or, or not. And, and this has been a big sticking point. Well, apparently today there was a breakthrough, and that is that the players and the owners agreed, look, we're going we're gonna to put this issue aside. We're, we're not going to make this 
right now a part of the rest of our bargaining about the economic issues and they've set you know a, a different different parameters we'll try to reach an agreement and if we don't reach an agreement by July 25th then this is what's going to happen but taking this issue off the table effectively now lets them concentrate on the economic issues and the reports that i'm seeing are is that they're they're close on the economic issues. This was the, the big thing that was serving as a, as a stumbling block. And now that they've agreed to essentially kick this can down the road, what's happened is now you can get down to actually like adjusting the numbers. And the implication is it, it's relatively close. And so maybe there will be a deal very soon, and maybe it will come in time to, to save, if not 162-game season, maybe it will come in time to save like 154-game season. But for those of us who are baseball fans, it's good news. But more importantly, for those of us who are fans of the people who work in the baseball industry, independent of both the players and the owners, it, it's also really good news because those are the people that I think have really been hurt over the last couple years. So I guess that, that might be good news. Nobody's saying for sure that there's a deal that's imminent, but they, they've removed the biggest stumbling block, and all the reports are they're, they're close on the numbers, which at that point in time you want to say, okay, just get the darn thing done so people can enjoy baseball. I, I really, I've said this before, and I firmly believe it. Things like well, things like baseball are are a habit, and once people fall out of that habit, you get used to building your days around listening to Bob Euchre call the baseball games and things like that. Once you fall out of that habit, it's tough to get people back. And, and I know that that's that's just happened to me on on personal things. Okay, you you get used to doing something, and then for whatever reason you can't do it anymore. You you fall out of the habit of doing it, and you're like, well, I'm not sure I really miss it that much. The '94 strike, lockout, etc hurt baseball incredibly. Lots of people, fans, just didn't come back. It took them till 2006 to get baseball attendance back to where it was in, again, 1994. And part of that brought it back was the whole steroid stuff and things like that. So baseball... Baseball's got to realize that this is a very, very dangerous, precarious time. And I guess the other issue is, given what's going on in the world, and the fact that you have 2 million refugees and perhaps the, the greatest threat to world peace since the end of World War II, and you're arguing about whether the pool for... I don't know bonuses or whatever should be 230 million or 240 million or whatever that number is. I don't think you're going to get too much sympathy from the average folks. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I love most of the texts that, that we get. One of our texters said we, you know, we're talking about Major League Baseball and the the, the strike and things like that, and it is. I, I'm, I'm just expressing my frustration, and here, here's what our texture says. It's just brutal. I was looking so forward to opening day, seeing my favorite beer vendor. What else does a retired guy have to look forward to in these crazy times? Of course, understanding it is a first-world issue. Yeah, th- this is that, – that is – see, that's the underlying thing, that you just – you'd like to go to these billionaire owners and the millionaire players 
and and again, I, I tend in this particular situation, I tend to be more player oriented. But in this particular strike case, but it, it is. I want to say, do you see what's going on in the world? And Russia is, is lobbing missiles into like hospitals and hitting maternity wards, and you got two million people that are fleeing their country, and you don't know where this is going to end. And you guys are can't agree how to divide up a ten billion dollar pie. It is kind of the the ultimate first world issue. All right. I've been wanting to discuss this with you for a couple of days. We, we've been talking a lot about gas prices, and and I understand the sort of the conventional wisdom that you get from people as well. You know how how, do, how does the gas price affect you? And and nobody likes the fact that we're paying record amounts for gasoline, and and it's probably going to get worse before it gets better. So I mean I understand that's the kind of simplistic thing, but there's something larger that, that's going on. Yesterday now. For many of you, maybe you don't have any money in the stock market. Maybe you don't care about our top and the hour, or bottom, or top and bottom of the hour reports about you know what's going on in the stock market and stuff because you don't have anything invested. For a lot of people, though, that that's not the case. A, a lot of people have retirement accounts. Maybe they have money that's independent of their retirement account, but they're recognizing they don't want to hit retirement age and have to just depend on Social Security, or they don't want to have to work till they're 85 years old. So they're, they're, they, they save money, and the way typically most people save money is you, you invest in, in the stock market, and you understand that you can gain money in the stock market and lose money in the stock market, but generally speaking, if you look at historical trends, long-term investors, the, the stock market ends up going up. Uh, let's see, yesterday, big day. Big day after pretty much two months of relentless losses. Stock market went up. The Dow was up like 700-plus points. The NASDAQ was up big. Today, down, not as dramatically. Dow right now is down 176 points. NASDAQ down 137. But But since the beginning of the year, because of inflation and then because of the war in Ukraine and a number of other things, the Dow Jones is in is in a, what they would call a correction. Correction means it's down 10% from its high. Right? The NASDAQ, which is a lot of the tech stocks, the NASDAQ is in a bear market, which means it's down 20% from, from its high. And, of course, we, we just don't know what's going to happen. Nobody has a crystal ball that understands what the end game is going to be. But if you look at how much money you had in your 401K account in January, on January 1st, and you look at how much money you have in your 401K account now, it is, for almost everybody, it's not going to be a pretty sight. And I know that there are people, lots of my friends are, thinking about retirement or in retirement, things like that, and th- this is their nest egg. This is what you know they're, they're living on. And when they see, I don't know, the, the NASDAQ drop 20%, th- there's a heavy-duty freakout factor. Now, the, the thing that you always have to put in perspective is that, well, if just, just arbitrarily, if we go back to when Joe Biden was inaugurated, okay, the, the, the Dow... So uh, January of of last year, Uh, the Dow, even though it's down a lot from its high, it's still higher than it was a year ago. The NASDAQ is almost the same. It's down about 300 points from where it was when Joe Biden came in. So if you look at it year to year, I mean, chances are 
it's it's not that bad. If you look at where your holdings were, say in October or November, compared to where they are now, well, it's it's again, it's not a pretty picture. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. How freaked out are you about what's going on in the stock market now? Now, I understand, like I say, for a lot of people, it's gas prices, and that's what the conversation is. And, I, oh, I'm really freaked out that you got to pay $4.15 for a gallon of gas or four fifty or whatever. And I, I understand all that. I mean, that's the real day-to-day pain at the pump that's going on. But I think for a lot of other people, it's, it's kind of that, that bigger concern. I have a friend of mine who looks at his... 401k accounts you know, on a daily basis. I was talking to him the other day, and he was telling me, "Gee, I, I've at least on paper, I've lost X amount of money that it took me, you know, years and years and years to save, and I, I've lost all this money in the course of the last, you know, 90 days or whatever." And you know, he's you know pulling his hair out. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. How concerned are you about what's happened to your investments, your nest egg? Over the course of the last few months, eight five five six one six one six twenty. We discuss in a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us I, again. We, we talk about gas prices and stuff. And, and look, and I I understand, you know, how, how people get freaked out if they're used to paying thirty dollars to fill up their tank and now they're paying forty five or fifty dollars. I, I I understand that, but of course, the, the larger issue for people, especially people who are, are closer to retirement or in retirement, who've built up the, the, their savings, that they're, they're living on, on their retirement income, is, gee, the NASDAQ's dropped 20% you know, since it, its highs last fall. You know, the Dow is in a correction. One day you see the stock market's up 700 points, and then the next three days it's consistently down six or 700. Um, what's, what's the freakout factor for that? My, my wife came in the other day and said, well, how's the stock market? I said, the stock market's, it was one of those down days. And I said, well, but you said, well, you know, I said, don't worry, honey. We, we can still go out to eat. It's not, it's not a problem. We can afford the groceries. It, it's just, again, it depends on what you look at because, like I say, if you just turn back the clock to January 20th of last year to pick a, an arbitrary date when Biden took office, it, you know, the stock market is, is largely unchanged. But that's not to say, I mean, I understand if you want to look at it not from oh, what were my assets worth in January, but what were they worth in November? Well, their chances are they're worth a lot less now than they were in November. But I don't know. What are you going to do? 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, I think a lot of it is big money taking profits and keeping the money out of the market. Could be. Jeff, I think the um, market is still overvalued. I think uh, federal interest rates need to be higher. I think they might be. Jeff, I'm not at all concerned. If people don't understand that the market does not go in a straight line up or down, they have no reason to be in the market. I think your use of the term freaked out is a little odd. Well, I would say to that texter, then you don't know a lot of people out there because my guess is there are a lot of people who are extremely concerned about this. Jeff, if I were close to retirement, I would be completely freaked out right now. However, I'm 35 and have another 30 years to work and continue investing. So while I don't like that I've technically, on paper, lost tens of thousands of dollars over the last few months, I know in the long run staying invested in the market is the right choice. Now is not the time to panic and start pulling out of the market. In fact, that would be the worst possible choice right now. Yeah, that's that's what I always tell people because for example, okay, today is Thursday. You know, on Monday and Tuesday, as I recall, you, you had 
you had bad days. I mean, some some big drops. And if you would have sold out then, you would have missed the the recovery that that they had yesterday. I mean, it, that's why. You just never know what's going to happen on a particular day. Jeff, I am a little nervous, but I believe it's this is temporary. Eventually, I believe the price of gas is going to go down and the stock market will rebound. I'm fortunate that I retired with a defined pension. I also work a part-time job every other week. Just started collecting Social Security at the age of 62. Um, and then says, hey, I've, um, you know, my Roth and my 401k have dropped significantly. I am convinced I will weather the storm. I think that's the attitude that you, you, you have to take. And I think that's what the financial advisors would say that you just got to be prepared that there's going to be ups and downs and you find an asset mix that's comfortable for you and where you are in life. And then you just ride it. Jeff, I'm 62. My husband is 60. Oh, she was robbing the cradle. We don't have a lot of working years left to make up those massive losses. I'm really concerned if we were younger, I would be taking it more in stride. And again, my only comment to that is you have to keep it in, in perspective. And, and yes, if, if you look at where your holdings were in November compared to where they are in March, yeah, there, there, there's, there's losses and down 10%, down 20%, whatever, and those are losses. If you go back and look to where you were a year ago, what you'll probably find is that, that maybe it's down, but if it's down, it's not going to be down that much, chances are. So it just depends on what indicator you're going to use. I bring this up not because any of us like to lose the money. I bring it up only to give people some perspective if they, they are, in fact, freaked out. Jeff, I'm only mildly freaked out by investments dropping. Um, when Joe Biden took office, I changed all my investments from aggressive to moderate or lower. This has present, prevented me from having major losses. Well, yeah, whether it's Joe Biden or whether it's just a function of age or whether it's a function of getting close to retirement, you always want to consider that. Jeff, I'm retiring in December and I've made a decision. I'm not going to look at my accounts. Things will get better. That's it. That that maybe if that's how you handle it, go with God in that area too. All right, a lot of stuff coming up in the two o'clock hour of the program. Do not go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. As long as we're talking about finances and things like that, the um, a dinner last night with a. A very good friend of mine who he, he, he's I, I, I'm very fortunate to know people who've just got incredible success stories and stuff and, and I'm just I'm, I'm always amazed at this and person you know we had dinner with he and his wife and his wife is equally as responsible for the success that, that he's had because they, they work together in building businesses but they they own a series of, of fast food franchises I think they're in the process of selling them to their son but they, they own, own a, a lot of fast food franchises and they started out with with one and no money in their pocket and have built this it's, it's great it is a great story about about America and for everybody who thinks that there aren't opportunities I, I just like to introduce you to some of the people that I know and you know folks who started out with 
no money at all, taking a, a risk and just working their butts off and taking various risks and, you know, dealing with all the setbacks and stuff that happened and ended up, you know, at, at, at the end, you know, they've been very, very successful. It, it just, again, it, it's what to me America is all about and it's why I, I end up loving, you know, the, this country. But we were, we were talking again about the, we were talking about fast food restaurants and where things are right now and, um, Again, just like all the other businesses, you know, he was saying that one of the big problems they have is trying to to get help. And you know, we were talking about you know what what you have to pay and how much you pay fifteen year old kids to come work for you, and then you know once they turn sixteen or once they turn eighteen, what you pay and you know how much money you can make and things like that. And you know, these are I understand that sometimes people think of these as like being dead end type of jobs, and the truth is they're 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 really not. I mean, they're you know starting out they might be entry level jobs, but there's there's a lot of potential and possibilities that are there for people who are willing to you know put in the time and, and work hard but anyways one of the questions I had as we were talking about this I said I'm, I'm just curious I used to when I would go through like drive-throughs at fast food restaurants and I my wife doesn't let me go to fast food restaurants much anymore and of course you know happy wife happy life but one of the things that, that happens is I, I used to see more of what I would describe as older people working working the counters you know maybe it, it's retirees and that's that's kind of their their side hustle that they're you know they're, they're working at the fast food places and I said is that the case and he said you know it's interesting that you would notice that because he said that that's been one of the the big changes especially in the last few years he said we used to have a lot of retirees that would come in and would would want to would want to work and you know maybe it was just because they were bored with their situation maybe they needed the money to supplement their social security thing but we as a general rule we we loved having the the older employees because that as a general rule they brought a sort of certain maturity that you know the, the 15 year olds you're hiring you know don't bring plus you know you can ask them to work later and things like that there's all this but he says we're just we're, we're having we're having trouble they're just not coming through the door and applying for these type of jobs, which actually got me thinking. I've, I've been walking around with a stack of these stories about this, and the Washington Post has been writing about this a lot. During, during COVID, what they are estimating is that um, of, of all the people that left the workforce, during what they call the, the Great Resignation, which was the COVID era, you know, starting March of 2020 or April of 2020, pretty much running through you know, all of last year. They estimate that of all the people that left the workforce, more than half were over the age of 55, were over the age of 55. And what they particularly found is that um, women between the ages of 65 and 74 were among the, the groups leading the way. So what they're finding is that, that this great resignation, that the people that have moved on, it tends to be disproportionately people who are, are older. That is nearing retirement age or maybe at retirement age, but people who would have said, hey, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, I was planning to retire at 62, or I was planning to retire at 65, but what I'm going to do is I, I'm going to work another couple of years. Well, because of COVID, what's happened is that great resignation has been, okay, I, I'm done, and I'm not coming back in the workforce. So it's, 
it is in many respects it's it's a baby boomer phenomena and it's one of the things that's creating again even more problems for employers because they're they're able to draw from a, a smaller pool based on at least the demographics so, so now if you're trying to find these entry-level positions it, it's or the, the second job side hustle type of things or whatever you, you've got a lot of people who mid 50s late 50s 60s who might have been inclined to keep working but now they're, they're just pulling the plug they're saying enough is enough our number is 855-616-1620 which is the acunet mortgage talk and text line is that portion of the workforce ever going to come back I mean, will, will people who, for for whatever reasons, you know, pulled out of the workforce, and I'm talking about people 55 and up, pulled out of the workforce for, again, whatever reasons, maybe they were pushed out of the workforce, maybe they pulled out of the workforce over the course of the last year and a half, who haven't come back, are they ever going to come back in any sort of significant numbers? Or is, is the great resignation really going to turn into, well, the great retirement? 855-616-1620. I've got some thoughts, but I'd love to discuss this with you. And if you know somebody in this situation or you're in this situation, you know, people kind of plan to work longer, but because of the events of the last year and a half, two years or whatever, have left the workforce and are either trying to come back or maybe they're not going to come back at all. 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I'm not ever going back to full-time work. I have a part-time job that I really like, and it's benefited us to have more home have me home more hours per week in many of our ways. The pace of our lives is much more enjoyable. No, I'm not ever going back. Jeff, I think it partly depends on investment market performance. If markets perform poorly, I think many early retirees will have to come back to the workforce. Jeff, I think you're going to see less old people, period. I wonder why. Here's the Here's the deal. Um, Jeff, I'm in this situation. This is from Joshua. Many people will not come back. There are so many ways to make money without having the traditional um, boss-employee situation. You can do the delivery. You can get your side hustles. Um, you know, um, True, most of this does nothing to plan for actual retirement, but that's how it is these days. Here's, again, one of these numbers that I find just to be incredibly staggering. Overall, 50.3% of U.S. adults, 55 and older, said that they were out of the labor force due to retirement in the third quarter of last year. Okay, 50.3%. That's according to the Department of Labor. Um, those numbers in, in the third quarter of 2019, before the pandemic, 48.1% of those adults were retired. So it's gone up over 2%. Now, people who are out of the labor force are out of the labor force voluntarily because of, of these decisions. See, I, this is, this to me is the big undercovered story out there. We, we see, you, you read in the business reports and all these things, you have, see people talking about, okay, well, it's, it's the, it's the millennials and it's the generation wise and it's all these people who, you know, they're, they're figuring out, okay, employers have to wrestle with how are we going to get the, these guys, gals, how are we going to get these employees back into the workforce and how are we going to get them to stop commuting and to start commuting and coming into the office and things like that. Well, th that's a valid issue. 
And I understand that that's maybe a concern that you have as you look forward. Where is the workforce going to come 10 years from now? But I think one of the immediate responses is what what do you do with the people who maybe they didn't think they could financially retire, but the, the pandemic kind of forced them into that, and now they're finding, hmm, this this isn't so bad, and, and yeah, maybe maybe we need to cut back a little bit, and maybe it would have been maybe a little bit better if we would have worked till sixty six instead of retiring at sixty three or sixty two or whatever. But it's not bad, and we can do it. and And I think a lot of people think that they're okay. Well, what what am I going to do? I, am I if I'm knocking? Is it going to be terrible or things like that? And I think because of the pandemic, there's a lot of people who found that, huh. You know, this, this, this isn't so bad. You know, it's, 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 it's not awful. And especially if, if it's a situation where, you know, you've got enough money to, to live. So I think this is the real story that's out there. Just a lot of people who plan to work for more years are, are just saying, hey, we're, we're done with this. We're, we're history. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I retired in 2009 when I was 48, so I'm 60 now. I kept busy working out 30, 90 minutes a day, worked in the home and yard, reading. Um, I financially set. I have no plans to work again. I have a very dear friend who was able to retire in his early 50s. And I, I always say, did you miss anything? He said, nope. <laughs> he says, I, I, I don't. He said, I, I've never, ever, ever looked back. I have another friend, had dinner with him the other night, and I'm not sure that he's ever going to retire. Jeff, I'm 67. I quit last July due to COVID. Uh, I quit last July during COVID due to vaccine and mask requirements. I will not go back to my retail job. Um, I've decided to support my children with child care as they can't get reliable care. That's grandma's new job. Jeff, thank God for cash side jobs. Jeff, Jeff, I think a lot of people are perhaps COVID conscious. I'm not willing to risk my health for a buck. Found other ways to make it. Perhaps it's more complicated. I'm making time for my grandkids. Um, yeah, that's um, there, there's no question about that. I think this is you know one of the deals that are out there. Jeff, there are no pensions for car company loyalties either way. Why continue to work? Well, you, you continue to work, I guess, because you, you like having that, that paycheck every week or two weeks or twice a month or, or whatever it is, and you get satisfaction from your job. I, I think that's why a, a lot of people continue to work, even if you, you calculate the numbers and you say, okay, I'm in a situation where I can retire, but it's like, all right, how much golf can I play? How you know? How, how, but but at the same time, I, I think one of the things that's happened during the Great Resignation. That's why I say I think it's also become the great retirement is people who didn't understand or couldn't envision what what would life look like without work found out. You know, they, they, they found out because the, <clears throat> the offices closed, etc. They found out what life looked like and I guess came to the conclusion that, you know, I can make do with this, and maybe it's not so bad. I've got more time for the grandkids, and I've got more time to spend time with my my friends, and maybe we need to cut back a little bit here or there or whatever, but I think this this is going to be the huge issue for the next five to ten years. People who've who've dropped out of the workforce, I don't want to say prematurely. I mean, you you make your own decision, but, but employers who I think had kind of counted on that 
that demographic who is still going to be there, and, and they're not there. And now the issue is, what do you end up doing? Do you pay people more? Okay, well, maybe that's something. But I, I get the sense that there's a lot of people that, you know, it, it doesn't matter if it's a side hustle. You know, if they were making 15 bucks an hour, you can offer them 18 bucks an hour. But I don't know that that's going to be enough that's going to bring them back. This is going to be one of the really, really interesting things to see over the next couple of years, especially as we come out of the pandemic. Will people who've dropped out, will they go back? particularly people who are 55 and older, and my sense is some will, most probably won't. Let me take a quick break. When we come back, John McCure will find out what he has on his mind on Wisconsin's Afternoon News.